setting fire to the stoner stereotype, sparking up candid conversations with cannabis researchers, entrepreneurs, and advocates. Educator, author, and advocate Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Please welcome the host of Burning Issues, Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Welcome back to Burning Issues, where we burn away the cannabis myths with science. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine, author of the Oxford University Press book, Understanding Marijuana, The Parent's Guide to Marijuana, and over 150 other scholarly works on the plant. I also pen the Ask Dr. Mitch column for High Times Magazine. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today, I am extremely delighted to chat with my pals Mickey Norris and Chris Conrad. We've had a lot of guests on Burning Issues, but none I love more than these two. They've become fixtures in the reform movement, fighting tirelessly year after year to help free our brothers and sisters in jail while they spread news of the plant, change laws, and improve the whole world. They've done so much work, I can't summarize it here, but I do want to mention they've done some groundbreaking stuff with the Hash Marijuana Hemp Museum, the American Hemp Council, and the Family Council on Drug Awareness. They're part of the Business Alliance for Commerce and Hemp, and they write tirelessly they show up at conferences, they think rationally, but they have huge hearts. I particularly want to give a shout out to the very first book of theirs I ever saw. It's Shattered Lives, Portraits from America's Drug War. You can't get through it and keep a dry eye. You can also see some of their kick-ass material at theleafonline.com and at yeson64.org. And as you might guess, today we're going to focus on stuff in California. Welcome so much to the show, Mickey and Chris. Hey, great to great be to, here. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks. So first off, hey, I grew up around the Mississippi, and everybody there thinks marijuana is already legal in California. Can you tell us about this current situation? Yeah, I, I go ahead and start off with this. California banned marijuana 103 years ago. It was the first state to do that. And uh, the result has been an unmitigated failure by any standard or measure. Uh, the legislature made one set of changes in 1976 and has not done anything since then on non-medical marijuana except to change uh, one penalty from a misdemeanor to an infraction. But in, in 40 years, they have continued to con- maintain all the felony penalties against non-medical use. The only reason that the medical marijuana laws changed was that 20 years ago, the voters called for medical marijuana to be legalized. And it took the legislature 20 years to come up with the distribution system. Uh, and in the course of doing that, they waited until just before it gets on the ballot for a non-medical legalization initiative. And what they did is basically bung up a lot of stuff. Like, for example, this is something really important for people to understand, Mitch. The medical marijuana laws in California are defense. They're not a right. In other words, you have an exception to the cultivation and possession laws here, but you have to prove you're a patient. You have to prove the amount is reasonable. So you end up in court dealing with this. We've been very successful in court. I'm an expert witness. I've worked on over 2,500 cases. And so we've been very successful in keeping people out of prison. And as a result of our success, people have gotten this misimpression that they can do whatever they want. The fact of the matter is you really can't. People are looking at penalties, three years in prison and, and, and so forth, for cultivation of marijuana. And so then, as I said, so the legislature 
what they did in 2003, they extended what we call the collective defense, meaning the patients together have a unified defense. They could sell to each other. Again, it's not a right. It's a defense in court to sell to each other, to grow for each other, etc. But last year, the legislature eliminated that defense, which most people here don't even know yet because it doesn't change until after the election. Interestingly enough, they timed it so that this will happen after the election. So people won't even know about it, most people, until the election is over here. Uh, so in certain ways, it looks like what they and they created a regulated system, uh, which isn't really too bad, to tell you the truth. But it, it's not that good either. And so last year, a group called Weed Maps that advertises marijuana businesses here in California, it connected with uh, the Peter Lewis's family, the Sean uh, Parker of Facebook fame and the Drug Policy Action Organization to put together a bill that was uh, an initiative based upon the lieutenant governor's statewide commission and uh, the Cole memo from the federal level of what the federal government is going to accept from states and put together a bill that does basically six things. It legalizes small amounts of marijuana and discrete gardens for adults. That's one ounce of bud, eight ounces of concentrate, and six plants per household in the garden. Then it retroactively reduces the most of the remaining penalties, except sales to minors under the age of 14. Um, actually, it may be under the age of 18. Let's just say sales with minors, and, and we'll take a look at that. Uh, it protects our existing medical marijuana rights and protections, like Prop 215 and the recently passed regulations. It regulates commercial production and sales to ensure the quality and potency of cannabis sold in the state and, and make sure that it doesn't go to children. And then it collects taxes and disperses them to pay for enforcement, research, and uh, the environment. It allows farmers to grow industrial hemp, and it allows the legislature to make further reductions in penalties, but not to ever make marijuana illegal again. It sounds like an amazing proposition. You got anybody supporting it besides a bunch of left-wing hippies? <clears throat> We've gotten a lot of support for this initiative. It's, that's one of the things I'm most proud of, and and most excited about we've never seen some of these kinds of endorsements like starting out with the california medical association um two days ago we just got the california nurses association we've got the california democratic party the california naacp and aclu we've got a lot of different social justice um, organizations that are behind this drug policy alliance mpp um normal. And then we then and there's all these individuals. We we've got Congress people, we uh, starting with the Lieutenant Governor of California, which as Chris mentioned is behind this uh initiative. He he started it off with his blue ribbon commission and uh so it conforms with that. So he's happy and he may be our governor in two years. So if he is he'd be the one implementing this, which would be very good for us because he really wants it to succeed. But From we, your we mouth even to have, God's ear. Yeah, right. You know, so, we're, you know, so we're excited time, about this. This is also the first time we've got mainstream news media endorsements. We've gotten the uh, Los Angeles Times to endorse this initiative, the San Francisco Chronicle, the, what do they call it, Mickey Bay Area News Group. East, uh, East Bay Times, yeah, that, that, the that includes... Beach. Modesto B, Chris. It's the oh, Modesto B. Modesto B. And yeah, so, and that's in a, a more conservative part of the state as well. So it, it's generating lots of support from, they, they call this a consensus initiative because it, it, uh, it brings in the, it addresses the concerns of, of just about everybody. I mean, from the conservatives to the, the progressives. 
And not everybody's 100% happy with everything in it, but, you know, enough of us are, we're happy with enough of it that we feel like it's, it's a good framework to going forward and very workable. Not a lot of laws are perfect. What's this going to do to all these arrests then? Well, right now, about 8,800 people a year are getting arrested for felony marijuana charges. Uh, and if they do, they can call me uh, and <laughs> I can help them out some of the time. But what we're expecting is that something like 10,000 people will be released from prison. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people will have their uh, arrest records cleared off and expunged uh, or reduced down to lo much lower uh, penalties. And um, we, they're still going to be you can still get arrested under this initiative. So but we think it's going to be down to maybe 12 uh, percent as many arrests as we have right now. In other words, somewhere around a thousand. Uh, a year as opposed to 8,000 a year. So, I mean, based on my friend Ted Shepard's data, it sounds like this is actually going to free up a lot of law, law enforcement time and have the potential to decrease some violent crimes and other crimes so that they're not down, you know, downtown fingerprinting folks for an eighth. Instead, they're actually out fighting terrorism and rape and murder and larceny and things like that. Does that seem consistent? Well, that's our hope. Uh, our hope is that they, this will free up the resources that they expected to free up uh, a lot of uh, monetary resources up to about $100 million a year that they have been spending on arresting and prosecuting uh, marijuana offenders. Uh, it should significantly, as Chris mentioned, it should significantly reduce the amount of arrests. That if we look at, at Colorado and Washington and the other states that have, uh, that have legalized already, and, uh, you know, they, they've shown a, a great drop. Chris is a marijuana expert witness in the courts, and he's already, it's already having an effect, even though it hasn't passed yet, in that attorneys are moving the cases until after the election, so that because this initiative is retroactive, so the penalty reductions that, uh, that will come will apply retroactively. And people currently facing uh, charges can have, if they're facing felony charges that have now been reduced to misdemeanors, the attorneys and the DAs are not that um, excited about, you know, aggressively pursuing these cases. So they're moving it until after the, uh, the election and just in case uh, it become it wins and, and these penalties that they're facing are, are reduced and they, they have less political will and less, less will to, to aggressively prosecute people when it's, only, when it's a misdemeanor versus a felony. Oh, and man, people that's left, a thought really left. warms my heart. Let me just take a break one second here, Chris, because uh, we got we got to hear a word from our sponsors. As my cannabis radio brother Vivian McPeak would say, we got to pause for the cause because there are flaws in the laws. We'll be right back with Chris Conrad and Mickey Norris. Please stay tuned. More burning issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. Play as Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town, only on Weed Firm Replanted. Available on the App Store and Google Play. It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town. Maintaining a room full of plants while dealing with a slew of eccentric customers, from a hardcore partier to the curious neighbor next door. Is anybody home? Help me expand my bud business by unlocking new strains, customizing my grow room, and completing challenges that you can't get enough of. Grow your empire so big you can see it from space. 
Low on funds? Don't worry. Weed Firm Replanted is free to download. Download Weed Firm Replanted for free on the App Store and Google Play today. Get growing, Mr. Growing. While the feds and state are doing their dance, you still need to transact business and manage your cash. Go professional and let your customers pay with PayQuick. They pay you and they earn rewards points. PayQuick connects to your bank account for free and secures all of your transactions. And with PayQuick, you can pay your producers and processors for free. Plus, it pays to have it because it makes depositing your cash safe and so easy. No cops, no crooks, just compliance and comfort, knowing you have your cannabis business in check with PayQuick. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. Keep your cannabis cravings under control. Feed your mind with CannabisRadio.com. To fan the fire on some more burning issues. Only on CannabisRadio.com. And we're back at Burning Issues. Dr. Mitch Earlywine here with Chris Conrad and Mickey Norris. We're talking about Prop 64 and the wild and wonderful things it could do for California. So I'm curious, in the new proposal, how are penalties going to change? I have have the chart in front of me. that We have, like, and people can look at the chart um, on our website, which is uh, friendsofprop64.org. If they want to go there, they can see all the the facts and, you know, the uh, frequently asked questions, and they can look at this chart. And what this chart does is that it reduces most penalties from uh, down. It, it reduces them down. So some things become absolutely legal, as Chris mentioned, up to uh, possession and transportation and giving away um, up to an ounce of of cannabis flowers and plus eight grams of concentrate and makes it legal for people to home grow up to six plants and they get to process and keep the entire harvest. So if they grow six mega plants, they'll get to keep that, that harvest as well at home. And when they go out there, they only should be taking an ounce at a time. Um, And then if, a bit, Mickey. Yeah. Uh, up to an ounce of cannabis is currently a ticket, but a $100 ticket infraction, but a cop can search you. Uh, once this initiative passes, it'll be legal, and cops cannot search you for the smell or even having an ounce of marijuana or eight grams visible to them. Uh, currently, possessing eight grams of concentrate is a year in prison uh, as a misdemeanor. That will be legal, and police will not be able to search you for that. Transporting up to an ounce or eight grams is currently a misdemeanor. That will be legal. Giving away up to an ounce or eight grams is currently a misdemeanor. That will be legal, and police cannot search you anymore for any of those things. Home-growing marijuana is currently a felony up to three years in prison. That will be legal. Processing and keeping the harvest is currently a felony, three years in prison. That will be legal. Smoking in public is going to remain an infraction. People will get tickets for that. Um, Then uh, minors up to the age of 18 who currently are subject to the same penalties as any adult will then be subject only to counseling, community service, drug education, and an infraction ticket. Between the ages of 18 and 20, people who now face a uh, felony for cultivation 
will have a $100 ticket up to six plants. People who have possession of up to four grams currently facing a misdemeanor will have only a $100 ticket. Then people who grow more than six plants, which is currently a felony up to three years in prison, that will be reduced to a six-month misdemeanor. Uh, possession more than an ounce remains the same, six months potential t uh, infraction. Possession of concentrate currently a year will drop down to six months and still remain an infraction. Transportation, which is a felony up to four years, will become a misdemeanor for six months maximum. Selling cannabis, which is currently a felony up to four years in prison, becomes six months in maximum. Possession with intent to sell, currently a felony up to three years in prison, becomes a six-month maximum misdemeanor. Uh, there are ways that you can get what we call wobblers. Uh, a wobbler could be charged as either in a misdemeanor or a felony. And so having more than six plants, getting caught with intent to sell, illegal sales, when you have a third offense, or if there's aggravating circumstances such as involving minors, gross negligence, toxic and hazardous substances, damage to watersheds, environmental harm, prior super strikes and registered sex offenders, they get what are called wobblers and they could be charged either way. The only thing that remains a serious felony is sales to minors uh, under the age of 18, and that could go to three to seven years, uh, seven years for they're under the 14. Uh, five years if they're in the age of 18, that will remain in effect. Mm -hmm. And these are, people say, well, so when does it go into effect? There's uh, two, three different answers. <laughs> the first is some of that's already in effect, but we still have to pass a law, meaning that it's, since it's retroactive, that uh, that really these penalties are going to apply to people who are doing things right now. The second thing is that the day after the election passes, so at midnight, there's going to be parties where they're filling out the paperwork to clear up and expunge people's records. And then the third answer is for the regulatory parts of it, those go into effect uh, starting in 2018 and going into 2019. It sounds amazing. Listen, I'm, I'm curious, as you mentioned the sales to the minor stuff, those penalties are actually going to be the same or a little bit worse. Am I right? The same. They're the same. They're the same. But, Mitch, uh, the exciting thing that, that Chris uh, mentioned uh, is how they treat minors under 18 on this initiative. It's really uh, progressive in that it does not give minors for their youthful indiscretions a criminal record. Upon turning 18, their records are sealed. And before turning 18... They're, as Chris mentioned, they're, they're subjected to um, drug education or counseling if, need, if needed, plus community service. And the idea is, is to keep, is to have uh, science uh, and evidence-based drug education, plus um, this, could, this could also include like family counseling if, if a person, if a youth is having a issues with their, their family that's leading to drug use and they're getting in trouble and things like that. But it's, um, it, that part's really um, exciting for us. And the, and the goal is to keep kids in school, not to be expelling them like we are currently. Currently, they can go to juvenile hall, they could get arrested and go to jail, and it, it totally derails their futures. So this this initiative, I think one of, one of the strongest parts of it to me is the way that they, they treat kids and, and how they can uh, get the help they need and then go into their adulthood without the burden of a criminal record that derails so many people's uh, futures. 
Oh, and it sounds so much better than just basically hurting their chances later mm-hmm. in life simply because they got caught with a few grams or something like that. It kind of breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. I'm a little worried about the Joe Camel problem, if you know what I mean. What's going to be the deal with yeah. advertising? It? Well, there are restrictions against uh, advertising to to youth. Um, they, they cannot advertise or market their products or package products that that's um, attractive to youth. They're restricted from advertising in certain hours um, of the day on TV that would, when the youth is mo- more uh, likely to be watching. And, so and they, by, the they way, do, by the way, federal law uh, won't allow them to advertise on TV in the first place. That, that's one of the things that our opposition keeps raising is that it has restrictions on what they can do if they advertise on TV. But the first thing is the federal government doesn't allow it. Go ahead, Meg. Mm, yeah, but there, you know. So if you're concerned about the, if you're concerned about big, big cannabis, is that what you're talking about? Big marijuana, or sure you're talking about the the advertising? I know there there are some concerns with this initiative. What it uh, was Prop sixty four does is, is that it has a, um, it has a, a whole bunch of different uh, licenses available for for cultivation and for manufacturing and for retail. And it also has a micro-business license that allows small uh, businesses to integrate vertically. Only the small ones can integrate vertically from from cultivation to manufacturing to retail and on-site consumption. Yay! <laughs> we can get have something in in California that would be similar to what what people experience in Amsterdam when they go there and go to a coffee shop because there there will be on site uh, consumption permits available to retailers, but um, there is a moratorium on the large scale uh, cultivation for five years to give the small and medium sized growers. Uh, a head start in in establishing themselves in the market and establishing their brands and appellations as well for their areas. So um, and just and a couple other af- points on that: af- that, that uh, you have to be uh, uh, age twenty one. You have to show ID to buy marijuana from the stores. And if a business is caught marketing to minors, that they will lose their license. So this is really di- very discouraging to people because if you're planning on making millions of dollars out of a business, if you advertise to people under twenty one, you're going to lose that business. And yeah, but I wa- I wanted to uh, to continue on with that a little bit about the uh, there is anti monopoly language in this initiative as well that we learned from other. States. We learned from the Ohio initiative that people do not want monopolies here. And aside from that, it hurts the, you know, the counties. We have, a, you know, a lot of uh, counties that are dependent on, on marijuana uh, cultivation at the moment. So we want them to, to be able to survive and thrive as well. So after five, there is a, a five-year uh, moratorium on, the, on issuing any large-scale licenses, which would be over 20, I believe it's 22,000 square feet indoors or over an acre outdoors. And at five years, they can start, the state can, can start um, issuing these licenses, but they don't have to. And they also have to, people have to get a license locally as well. 
So it's astounding. Um, it's really amazing. Look, there's obviously a lot more to talk about Prop 64, so I'm hoping folks will turn to my Empire show. I'll be right back with self-compassion in the art of activism. We've had uh, Mickey Norris and Chris Conrad getting us started here, and we're going to conclude over on Empire, so please tune in there. More burning issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now About a game for your phone gonna make you say wow The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash Little by little your empire grows large Put the big celebrities inside your entourage You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Cheech and Chong Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong The name of the game is Hemping, that's the point Download and play while you life yourself a joint Business and cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber Vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. From dabs to chivas, sativas to indicas, we roll out a whole concentrate of fresh new content every week. It's like going from the greenhouse to the dispensary, CannabisRadio.com Welcome to Hempire, presented by C.W. Hemp, a weekly installment dedicated to exploring the non-psychoactive side of the cannabis plant. Once a cornerstone of the American economy, hemp has been used in over 25,000 products, including paper, textiles, construction materials, health food, and fuel. Now, Tune in and discover all there is to know about this wonder crop making a historic comeback. Empire, presented by C.W. Hemp, starts now. Hey, Cannabis Radio listeners and hemp fans of all sorts, we're back with Empire, where we're devoted to all things hemp. Hey, we've seen the cannabis plant in works of art going back to 8000 B.C., and we've also got the plant with modern uses today and into tomorrow. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine, author of the Oxford University Press book, Understanding Marijuana. I write the Ask Dr. Mitch column for High Times Magazine, and I'm a member of the advisory board at the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. So thanks for joining us on Hempire. Today we're going to chat with the energetic CEO of CW Hemp and the generous board member of Realm of Caring Foundation, Joel Stanley. Joel and the other Jay brothers created the legendary Charlotte's Web hemp products. These products have helped children with intractable epilepsy and basically go from suffering from hundreds of seizures a day down to none at all. You can find all about them on the web at cwhemp.com. That's the letters C-W-H-E-M-P dot C-O-M. And Empire fans know that the realm of caring handles research, education, and advocacy so we can learn more, spread the news, pass helpful legislation, and provide a little bit of funding for those in need. 
And they're at theroc.us. That's the letters T-H-E-R-O-C dot U-S. So, Joel Stanley, hey, welcome to Empire. Thanks for having me, Dr. Mitch. So today we're hoping to elaborate on this distinction between drugs and supplements and where hemp might fit in. I'm curious, what do you think of as sort of people's stereotypes of, of a drug? Well, you know, we, we have a drug system here in the U.S. in which basically anything that appears to be beneficial or helping someone kind of becomes a drug. And that's, that's kind of wrong. I mean, I feel like the way people view the word drug is very diverse and oftentimes misused. I mean, we think of drugs as street drugs, like, like cocaine or heroin, but what about those, those compounds that come from basic food products or plants that are very safe? We seem to think that when they're effective at actually treating something, that they must then be a drug. And that's kind of our system here in the U.S. Sad but true, and it's, and it's intriguing because once something ends up categorized a drug, we've got all that weird baggage left over from illicit drugs, and people don't seem to you know, pay attention to the pharmacological properties that might really be beneficial. That's exactly right, and there's such a process that goes along with, with actually getting a drug approved through the FDA that many of these great compounds then suffer an average of seven to ten years getting approved and, and, and sometimes billions of dollars. So we really kind of have a broken drug system in which if we, if we want to take something beneficial and, and we want to claim that it's beneficial, we have to go through this very expensive, very arduous process before anyone can even access it. Even very safe, non-toxic, non-addictive, and non-psychoactive compounds like oh. CBD. I mean, yeah, and I mean, that's the real sad part. So there are literally four different stages of research. You have to begin with uh, adults who don't have any symptoms just to show that the drug is safe. Even we've got, you know, especially with hemp, literally millennia showing it's already safe. And to spend that money just seems like such an outrageous impediment to the progress. I would completely agree. You know, I, I would also say that we're not against a pharmaceutical approach, and that level of scientific rigor, this plant, cannabis, hemp, um, it, it truly deserves that science. But at the same time, just as you said, we know enough about it by this point that people should at least be able to access it freely while it goes through those steps for scientific validation. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And you think about things like St. John's wort, melatonin, stuff that literally anybody can go buy right over the counter that didn't really have to go through all this and yet is actually really comparable or in some ways even more complicated than cannabidiol, THC, or just natural hemp extracts. That's exactly right. And, you know, people ask us a lot, uh, shouldn't this be a drug? And my answer is that, well, yes, of course, this can be a drug. We should develop excellent drugs out of, out of cannabinoids, but it should also be a dietary supplement. It should also be a food. There, there are many different applications for the non-psychoactive side of cannabis. So it, it really should exist in all these levels. If you could just elaborate a little bit on what it would mean to be calling this a dietary supplement, I think listeners would really appreciate it. Well, typically a dietary supplement is usually a plant botanical extract or oh, something like echinacea, 
that's a good example of a dietary supplement. It's botanical in nature, and it's an extract from a plant. We have many of these when you go to a vitamin world, vitamin cottage. You, you see these dietary supplements, and the major difference between a dietary supplement and a drug is that a dietary supplement may be considered safe for human consumption, but it hasn't necessarily gone through all, all of the FDA processes and levels of research necessary to make drug claims about it. That's really the difference. Um, but the FDA recently has started to accept botanical medicine, which is, which is a major problem here, here in the U.S. And, and Western medicine in general has, has adopted this idea that we should only work with one molecule at a time or, or very few molecules, which locks out plant extracts. Well, plant medicines have, have been around since our existence, and they're very good medicines. Well, that, there's a whole paradigm shift now in, in which the FDA is accepting, and now the medical community wants more whole plant botanical options. So I think we're going to start to see botanical drugs developed that are very similar to dietary supplements, but they'll go through the same scientific process so that a company can actually advertise them for specific claims. And what that will do is, is bring physician advocacy, something that, that cannabis severely lacks. Most Western medicine physicians want FDA approval. They want to know what they're dealing with, and they want to know that it's, that it's gone through the scientific process. Well, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to put a plant extract through a drug approval process that was built for single molecules or synthetic molecules or isolated molecules. So now there's a botanical drug guidance from the FDA. So I think we're going to start seeing more of these that, that we would consider a botanical or dietary supplement that in the future will be advertised as drugs. We'll start to see insurance cover them, Medicaid, Medicare. So I really do feel like we need to go this route with cannabis, but not lock out foods and dietary supplements. That's a superb way to put it, really. And this is really cutting edge. This is brand new. For, for literally decades, there was no way to get around this. And even with things that went way back like aspirin, you could see how there would be certain problems. So even though aspirin is, is known uh, as a safe drug, getting it approved for a particular use, so uh, the use to prevent second heart attacks, for example, required these randomized clinical trials. It was really expensive, even though aspirin is cheap, and it really you know, doesn't pay off for a company to go through all this trouble. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's a good parallel. You know, you, we have examples of, of drugs that are found in nature. Red rice yeast, good example. There are cholesterol drugs that have the same molecules in them. And so what do we do with red rice yeast? And red rice yeast companies can't, can't make the parallel between their natural food ingredients and drugs that are out there marketed. And, you know, really, the system's broken. We have to follow the money to understand why we have regulatory agencies that always want to push anything beneficial into the drug category. It, it is sad, and I mean, I hate to sound paranoid, but a little bit suspicious that literally something that's been around that long would have so much trouble uh, even getting the, the sort of name supplement particularly in light of the contrast with synthetic THC, which certainly sounds like a drug and was actually federally funded in order to, to get approval. 
That's right. And, you know, once upon a time, pharmaceutical companies fought to make vitamin C a drug. And that's kind of what we're dealing with. When you look at CBD, especially from hemp, as far as we know, all, all of the science tells us that this is non-toxic, non-addictive, and non-psychoactive. It basically has a vitamin C-like safety profile. Yet there are many parties and authorities that would like to see it locked down as a drug only. It's kind of sad. Well, and particularly given the number of people who could potentially benefit and how hard it is to get uh, approval for research. So we've got compelling laboratory work with rodents and some primates suggesting that CBD is an ideal antioxidant with potential to help folks who've suffered a recent head injury and even day-to-day might actually decrease oxidation in a way that could decrease inflammation when we're all in our 80s and 90s. And yet it's impossible to get that kind of work funded in part because of legal status. Yep, you're exactly right. And it's been held back for 85 years of prohibition, not, not, not just from us, not, not just from the individuals, but from that level of research. Um, so we, we don't have cannabinoid drugs available and won't for, for a significant period of time. And so I think it's important for people to understand that we may need to fight for the right for cannabinoids to exist outside of drugs, especially while they're not available as drugs because of that prohibition from research. Now, it's curious because I'm going to have my pals from states where they do have a tax or regulated market say, you guys just need to go our path and you'll have everything you ever wanted. But it seems like that's not really the case. You were speaking of, of medical marijuana regulation? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there are a lot of people within medical marijuana. We've, we've seen it here in Colorado. We actually had one group that is, is basically lobbying to lock CBD into the medical marijuana regulations, which are very expensive and much higher cost of good, which means that people have to pay more for it. And that also means that, that people in other states won't be able to access it. They'll have to move to Colorado or California to actually access it. But what we learned is that those groups, they simply have financial interest in medical marijuana. So, of course, they want CBD to remain in medical marijuana, but that's wrong. When we're dealing with something that is food safe, people need to have access to it. Well, and I think the the heartwarming stories that uh, you guys have told about uh, folks you know, who are literally little kids uh, improving their seizure rate is, is uh, in, in my mind, plenty of evidence as far as that's concerned. I would completely agree. You know, we had, we had hundreds of families moving to Colorado before we had hemp regulations available. I mean, the story of Charlotte's Web began under a medical marijuana framework. And when hemp was legalized in 2013 in Colorado and in 2014 at the federal level, it allowed many people who moved to Colorado to move back to their state, back to their parents, back to their support group. It's just insane that people only have access to something that really helps them based on it, their zip code. It's, it's, it's just maddening. 
it's really unfair in the, in the alleged land of the free. I know, too, that uh, it's easy to underestimate how much social support and family support these families really need. If you have a special needs child of any kind, having anybody who can give you a break and who can uh, help out in any way can mean the difference between really low quality of life and uh, a real flourishing. So I think that this, oh, everybody should move to Colorado idea is just completely unfair. That is absolutely right. And so those who who want to lock CBD into either pharmaceutical only or medical marijuana programs only, all we have to do is follow the money there. Uh, Because true compassion and science would tell us that this needs to be available to these families as a dietary supplement, as a food. And yeah, let's develop great medical marijuana products out of it as well. Let's develop excellent pharmaceuticals out of it as well. That's superb. Hey, we do have to take a break. As my cannabis radio brother, Vivian McPeak, would say, we've got to pause for the cause because there are flaws in the laws. Please join us right away with Hempire. Hold on for more Hempire after you've grown to learn more about our sponsors. The cannabis business industry is growing, business is booming, and as new opportunities arise in newly legalized states, each market is getting more competitive. Today, it takes more than just being a good grower. Do you have the resources to market and handle this ever-changing business landscape? Let Canna Management Corporation help you grow your Canna business with our vast resources and experience to make your business a fully functional service company. Financial management, HR, sales, marketing, efficiency, and more. CMC has the experience and the expertise to improve your business and help you better meet the demands of your clients and customers. Call Canna Management Corporation and let our team get you ready to grow. 415-269-8015. That's 415-269-8015. Or visit canna-management.com. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber Vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Growing green to generate more green. Hello to all you happy herbalizers, smiling, trippy hippies, and everyone who believes in freedom and tolerance. This is The Grow Show, and I'm Kyle Cushman. From food to fuel, from remedy to resource. Welcome my guest, Ed Rosenthal, the guru of ganja. Let me ask you, right now I hear your lighter clicking. Are you smoking indoor, or are you smoking sun-grown? What am I smoking? I'm smoking concentrate. <laughs> Way to get out of the answer there. So you're truly like the, the king, right? You just have you just clap your hands and somebody brings you a bowl and you're all set, right? 
Mm, I wish that were the case. (laughs) The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. Time to harvest more crop-tastic content on Hempire, only on CannabisRadio.com. Hey, Cannabis Radio listeners, we're back with Hempire, where we're devoted to all things hemp. We're talking with Joel Stanley, CEO of CW Hemp and board member of the Realm of Caring Foundation. We're just getting into some of the disappointments, shall we say, with trying to categorize hemp as a drug when, in fact, we could use it as a dietary supplement. And, Joel, we're just eager. Can you sort of elaborate on sort of the FDA process and how this gets problematic and what we might do? Absolutely. You know, I think people need to understand that there's a there's a major danger that compounds like CBD and all of all of the other non psychoactive cannabinoids we can get from the hemp plant. Um, there are major financial interests, pharmaceutical companies, regulatory bodies like the DEA and the FDA, who would like to see these locked into a, a pharmaceutical system only, uh, which is a very expensive system. We all understand that, that it's a very broken system. And in order for us to protect this so that people have access to it at an affordable price now and not two decades from now, people need to understand that there's still some political action necessary. And some of that is simply folks getting their congressmen on the line and saying, please support the hemp bills out there. There are two of them that I know of, both of them very good bills. One of them is, is, is not only about hemp, but it's also about CBD specifically. That has a significant number of sponsors, but not enough. It needs more congressmen, more senators. And then, the, and then there's another one authored by, by uh, Mitch McConnell that is the Industrial Hemp Act. That's another excellent bill. And if we don't get something like this passed, then we're at a major risk of seeing CBD and all these non-psychoactive, very healthy, healthy cannabinoids from the hemp plant uh, get locked into pharmaceutical companies and drug regulations only, which would be bad for humanity. That's, that's, that's not the way that this needs to go, not the only way that this needs to go. So people need to get involved. So if people will engage their congressman, their senator, and ask them to support both of those bills. One of them is the Industrial Hemp Farming Act of 2015, and the other bill is the Therapeutic Hemp Medical Access Act. Either one of those bills getting getting passed will help to solidify our right to continue producing very valuable dietary supplements and foods from hemp. I mean, we all consider hemp to be a legal commodity here in the U.S., it's actually in this very gray area in, in which we have kind of a, a trial access to it. We have a trial industry. We need to support these bills if we want to have an actual hemp industry that's going to thrive here in the U.S. That's exactly right. And, hey, I just want to encourage listeners, if you go to house.gov on the web, you can get your representatives and senators and sending them, you know, a handwritten letter means a whole lot today. If you'd rather just email, by all means do. But getting the word out on this uh, Industrial Hemp Farming Act or the Therapeutic Hemp Medical Access Act is really going to pay off. And believe me, it's up to each of us. We can't count on the other guy to, to handle it. 
That's exactly right. And it's, 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 it's so important. Anyone who's seen the stories about Charlotte's Web or CBD and how it's truly helping thousands of people out there, if you can identify with that, please understand that we need your help. These families need your help. Well, so you allude to an an affordable price, and I think that that's a a wonderful point here, Joel. What do you think might happen if, you know, a single drug company got a a patent on one of these? Well, that's that's sort of happening right now in which there's a British pharmaceutical company that has patented cannabinoids, including CBD, for, for many different purposes. And what ends up happening is... Once these products get through the drug approval process, a lot of times they're considered orphan drugs, and they're very, very expensive. Insurance doesn't always cover these, and some of these drugs that these, that these families are taking are in excess of thousands of dollars per single dose. And no one wants to see cannabis go that route alone. That would be so dangerous for us, for humanity. It's a heartbreaking thought. Something that that should cost, say, 25 cents per dose, costing $900 per dose. Uh, But that's a part of what happens when we go through a pharmaceutical system. And basically, one large company ends up with exclusive rights to market that product and sell that product to these families. That can't happen here. Let me just remind listeners, the Orphan Drug Act, I know it sounds like it should provide drugs to orphans for free or something, but it really means a, a drug that is sort of out on its own without any big parenting company destined to make a lot of money off it. And the hope was that federal funds would help them pay for this research and then keep the prices down so that people, even if they weren't necessarily a big population, people who needed it wouldn't have to pay so much. Unfortunately, it just hasn't panned out the way we had hoped. And so a plant is certainly not going to be an easy thing to make a ton of money off of. And then anybody turning this into a drug gets federal funding in some sense in order to to pay for the relevant research, but then may not necessarily pass that savings on to the consumer. And that's uh, particularly sad when we when we do know a lot of this could be grown in our own backyards. You you also mentioned that just uh, in in a sense there are lots and lots of people having to to move around. I know you know some of the more uh, moving stories of folks who've had to move around in part because it's it's so hard to to get these medicines. Would you be willing to share one of those stories? Uh, yes, absolutely. Boy, there are literally hundreds and hundreds. Uh, we saw within the first year of of the airing of Sanjay Gupta's weed series, we saw over 400 families move to Colorado. Now you have to imagine all of those families had to have had um, the financial resources to make that move, which is a very sad thing. But what about all those other families that actually couldn't make that move? So I know a family in in Florida that absolutely, they they were completely out of pharmaceutical options. They had tried everything, much like little Charlotte. And they had just enough money to come out to Colorado, set up residence, um, stay with a friend, and they found out that CBD was, was working for them, working for their daughter. 
and they completely ran out of money. And as luck would have it, we had our first hemp harvest. We were able to send them home back to their support group. And this happens over and over and over. What about the ones that didn't have the resources, didn't have the money to move to Colorado, move to, move to California to actually try something like Charlotte's Web? It's, it's stunning when you really think about anybody with a special needs child is already financially strapped. So the folks who can't make it have got to be numerous. And it's got to be so frustrating to be sitting there wondering if this might help when, in fact, you, you just can't get access. That's exactly right. And fortunately, all 50 states have access to CBD now. That is, that is an excellent advance, but it is under attack, as we've, as we've discussed. And we also need to see people get access to THC because we see that helps so many folks. Some people respond to CBD and pretty much only CBD, and they're very lucky when that happens. Those folks needing THC that could have their lives benefited by THC or even saved by THC in some cases, they need to have access. And over at the realm of caring offices, those reps are all moms and dads. Those phone reps are all moms and dads of children who are using THC products, CBD products. And they're very compassionate, but they get so many phone calls every day with someone on the other end saying, I live in a state that doesn't allow for what I need. And they're crying, saying, how can I get someone to send it to me because I'll risk it? They hear that daily. It is a sad and terrible thing. We should be ashamed of ourselves that that's happening. And the folks are locked out of an excellent medical option by their zip code. Well, on top of that, we've, you know, on other shows discussed people who've tried to help folks by putting things like that in the mail. And, of course, they suffer, you know, the full brunt of the legal system on that. And that's also kind of embarrassing and just adds, you know, a punishment to people who are trying to trying to do something kind. Hey, you allude to the fact that CBD is now available in, in all 50 states. Can you tell us how that works and why? Well, Due to current hemp regulations, CBD can can be produced from industrial hemp, very similar to medical marijuana, except it has very low THC and very high CBD. So we can produce this, keep that that THC threshold at hemp level, which is less than three-tenths of 1%, and now we can provide it across the U.S. This is a very misunderstood topic, though. Hemp is actually a huge commodity here here in the U.S. We're the largest importer of it, have been the largest Im- importer of hemp products for decades. This has just been the first time, 2014 marks the first time that hemp has been allowed to be cultivated domestically. So that's how, that's how we're achieving it now. But it's so important that we pass final legislation to keep the hemp industry alive here in the U.S., it is pretty startling when you think about how basically we're allowed to import it and then still can't really <laughs> grow it in, in the kinds of levels that we that we really need. Is there stuff going on at CW Hemp that we should know about as far as this is concerned? Well, we are we are looking into multiple product lines, multiple delivery methods for CBD, um, looking at at foods, vitamin gummies 
functional beverages. We, we have a topical line coming out soon. So these non-psychoactive cannabinoids like, like CBD are going to have so many different applications. And so our company is out there exploring what types of products really make sense so that we can all incorporate this very healthy compound, CBD, in, into our daily lives, diets. We're doing that as well as many other great, great companies. Well, and you allude to the, the fact that it, it is an extract and that we're not talking about just CBD sometimes, and it's not just the single molecule. Dr. <laughs> Dr. Ethan Russo has been calling this the entourage effect, that basically they are all going to come out and, and work together, and it sounds like you guys really have been paying attention to that. Yeah, I think that that's, that's part of the reason why we need to fight for hemp to be allowed in the dietary supplement world. Is that if, it, if, if it goes only into drug single compound, it's likely not going to be as effective for certain individuals. And the simple reason you mentioned it is that entourage effect. We now understand that CBD or THC and really all of these cannabinoids may act differently within the body when other plant compounds are present. Simple plant compounds, even sometimes as simple as chlorophyll or plant terpenes like uh, beta-caryophylline or pinene or limonene, um, these are found in, in many other foods. And when they are present, when these other plant compounds are present or other cannabinoids, the one specific cannabinoid we're targeting, like CBD, may act entirely differently. It, it can be helped, basically. Well, clearly we've got plenty more to discuss on other episodes. Thanks to all you Cannabis Radio listeners for joining us here on Hempire. Our guest has been Joel Stanley of CW Hemp. My hearty thanks to the production wizards at Cannabis Radio. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Follow your heart and let the data be your guide. Time to fan the fire on some more burning issues. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Hey, Dr. Mitch Early Wine here. Welcome back to Burning Issues. Here it is, our next chapter in self-compassion in the art of activism. This is the part of our show that helps our listeners take good care of themselves and each other. It's how we support our friends in the Cannabis Crusade. Hey, I got some intriguing questions and some wild emails, all really about handling irritability. Now, of course, we'd all love to be able to handle other people's irritability, but that's a different issue. Let's talk about decreasing our own irritability first because, hey, we've got more control over our own behavior than anybody else's. So some key issues that help basically reduce irritability do require confessing that we're irritable in the first place. A lot of times folks will sort of pretend like they're not irritated even when they are, and I'm afraid sometimes that can lead us down a bad road. A lot of the time I notice that I'm bored, and that's usually just a half a step from being a little bit irritated. Boredom often arises from failing to be in the present moment, and we talked about that when we talked about mindfulness, or simply finding that the present moment is actually a little bit aversive and we don't want to focus on it. So we've all got to face boring events in our week, and I just want to use an example, one of my personal favorites, meetings. 
if I ask myself what would make this better, sometimes I'm afraid my first reaction is killing everyone in the room. Now, obviously, I've crossed over into irritability when I'm feeling like that. So how can I intervene? Hey, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. If I have to face a meeting, I know I've got to eat a little something first. I've got to make sure I'm as rested as possible. And I've got to clear up any lingering worries or at least put them on hold. I also have to go in to meetings or any tough situation with reasonable expectations. So, hey, what would this require? The interventions are not easy, even if they sound simple. So I need a granola bar or some kind of vegan cheese stick or some food, piece of fruit to carry around wherever I go. I've got to make sure my head hits the pillow early every night, no matter how tempting another round of Call of Duty or an extra episode of Orange is the New Black just might seem. If I am worried, I have to write out my worries and generate some options before I head into the meeting. Even if my worries have nothing to do with that meeting, I can get distracted. I might wonder, what's up with my kids or how am I going to write this paper? It's still best to get some of this blather out of my head and onto the page so I can go into the meeting with a clear mind. Finally, I really need to check my expectations. Whatever the irritating event is, even if it is a meeting, there are parts I can't control and parts I can. I don't mean to sound like St. Francis, but no matter what I do, I can't control certain things. I can't control what comes out of other people's mouths. What I can control is how I choose to react. If I understand that some meetings are inevitable, if I hold out the idea that I might be surprised and a meeting could go well, I'm giving the situation the best chance possible. But if I start freaking out right in the middle of a meeting, what can I do? Even if I'm fed and rested and reasonable, I can still get worked up. First, I have to check my own breathing. It's often fast. It's often shallow, especially when I'm feeling a little irritated. So what do I need to do? Slow it down. I don't have to take a giant lung buster breath, but it'll help if I just breathe slower. Slow, steady breathing can make whatever it is just a little less irritating. Then I've got to think before I act. If there's anything I can do to soothe myself, make a joke, remember what really matters, whatever it might take that's bound to help. Finally, I might need to take a time out. Hey, there's no embarrassment in doing this. If things are really just more than I can stand, before I start shouting things I don't really mean, before I just go absolutely bananas, it might be best to say, I'll be right back, gang, and head out the door for a few minutes. Better look a little weird or look like I have a bladder problem than to cuss out everyone in the room. If I can do all this, I just might find things a little less irritating, even meetings. And each time I face a meeting or any other irritating situation, the next one has a chance of going even better. Hey, I'm so delighted you tuned in to listening to Burning Issues. My hearty thanks to our guests, Chris Conrad and Mickey Norris, all about 
basically discussing Prop 64. They're friends of the American Hemp Council and the Family Council on Drug Awareness, among other things. Don't forget to join us again next week on Burning Issues. Catch us on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, or Stitcher. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine at CanvasRadio.com. Follow your heart and let the data be your guide. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com